available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan network. What are we now? Oh, good question. Uh, we're Scout still for a while. Okay. Okay. We might be 247 soon. <laughs> uh, we're kind of partners with them now, but we might be. Um, but anyway, I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com and also part of the Scout.com network that's soon to be 247, and we're all under the CBS umbrella. We this all has that. an asterisk, all right? It's just it's just asterisk. Yeah. We don't really know who we are, but we know who you are. You are our <laughs> listeners, and you are listening to the podcast of champions. Bam! You can email us if you have a question for us, pack12podcast at gmail.com. We got a bunch of emails. Uh, our Twitter, if you like the tweets, at pack12podcast. Our website, where you can find all of our old shows, pack12podcast.com. Or you can call, if you want to leave a voicemail, 641 715-3900, extension 734-972. Now, we haven't really tested that for a while, Dave. Hopefully, the number still works. So, if you try it out, it doesn't work. Tweet us or something. Let us know. Yeah, somebody would have to try it to uh, to let us know. Yeah. And they've been they've been remiss. You know, we're already getting weird, and we're only a couple minutes into this. <laughs> um, but I, I feel pretty good about it. Um, it's it, You know, we're right at the, at the start of uh, what becomes a marathon here. Um, fall camps started for basically everybody. I think UCLA might be the last one starting tomorrow. Um, but because of the extended uh, fall camps now, because you can't do two-a-days anymore, everyone's having to start fairly early. A lot of a lot of teams started last week, um, even before Pac-12 media days, uh, which was two days last week. So it's, uh, it's a crazy fun time. Um, you were you were in attendance at uh, at Pac-12 Media Days, and uh, our our lovely listeners actually got two podcasts from you. Yeah. Um, you know, at least encompassing uh, some cool stuff from Pac-12 Media Days. So, what were uh, what were uh, what was maybe the most interesting thing you heard at Pac-12 Media Days last week? Well, I just want to give credit where credits due because David Woods. I was like, you know, we should probably ask like all the coaches the same thing, and you gave a few ideas. And it's hard, like, you know, it was not easy to get every coach and a player from every team, but we ended up doing that and putting those podcasts out. They were short, like 15 minutes, but really getting them to talk about the rules is always something that gets, you know, sparks their interest. Like they're always going to give you some kind of good answer. And there were so many, there was just a huge variety of different answers of what people thought about the new NCAA rule. And there were some that were just like, Hey, you know, it's great. Protect the players. Uh, get rid of, you know, uh, get rid of two days. We want to protect the players. We're all pro players. And then there's other coaches who are like, this is stupid. I protect the players. We didn't do it, you know, two days in a bad way. We did it in a good way. Now you're extending it by an extra week. That's going to be worse for the players. If they think they're, they're helping the players, they're, they don't know what they're talking about. And, uh, I think Rich Rod went off on not just that rule. I didn't even ask him about the early signing day. He went off on that too. Uh, but you can hear all that stuff on the, the earlier podcast. But to me, Dave, that was really interesting. All these different head coaches 
all of them had a, a different opinion on on what these new NCAA rules mean. Yeah, and I, I, I think like I walk away always like respecting the intelligence more of the ones who are like, yeah, I think it's a good rule change, because two days always struck me as super dumb. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think everyone's everyone's got this really like macho toughness attitude about football and to an extent it's completely legitimate you need to be kind of i mean you need to be tough to play you know essentially a you know what's virtually a combat sport but like that stuff right before the season starts if you want to talk to me about two a days maybe going in the spring you could talk me into that that's maybe a little bit better but once you're like heading into the season You've got to be fresh, and there's it's already kind of an insane schedule. I mean, it was already an insane schedule just from a timing perspective. Like, they would practice six days a week. I mean, I think the first you, – you can practice maybe for like the first – I forget how many days straight you can practice to start out fall camp. But you're practicing for like a ton of straight days, and you're getting like burnt. And a lot of these coaches are also – and UCLA is not doing this this year, but also like – Okay, we're going to go to the most hellish spot near our campus we can find, and then we're going to run you through two a days. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I think it's one of those things that coaches do because their coaches did it, and those coaches did it, and so on and so forth back to the Stone Age. And I think it's a Stone Age idea, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad they've made that rule change. And this isn't just me talking as a media member who's had to sit through two a days before. Uh, I, I do think it's a, it's a good rule change, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy that some of these guys actually thought so as well. Yeah, it's better. I mean, it's better for us, like in the media, like for like we're covering teams. If we can get extra practices spread out, so we get an extra week of fall camp, that's good for us as far as producing content. And then not having to go to two in one day, uh, that kind of helps us as well. But it it was crazy, the just wide variety of of answers. And you know, I think overall, Dave, um, you know, if some of the coaches that maybe you felt had like a a harder external shell, like I thought, you know, Jim Moore, I thought he was. Uh, very personal, like, uh, a Todd Graham. He was great. I thought he was great out there. And, you know, I think some of the coaches are where maybe there's a little more pressure on them. Um, sometimes you can see them like kind of lock up and, and close off. And I didn't think they did, uh, at Pac-12 media days. And it, it was a weird setup where, you know, you, you get them on the, the front stage and you can go up and talk to them or the players in the back. But then, you know, right afterwards, they're going over to the right next to us, which is the Pac-12 network. Um, you know, studio area where they would sit down with, you know, Mike Lamb and uh, Yogi Roth and, and Curtis Conway um, talking there. So they, they kind of just had this production thing going. And I, I mean, if you're one of those players or coaches, you just did not have a break the entire time. So it was, I thought that all the coaches and players that we saw, you know, handle themselves really well. You know, it's always a shock to me, actually, when these guys don't handle themselves well. Um, and it happens a lot. I mean, a lot of times these guys don't handle themselves well, but they, I mean, it's part of their job to be on 24-7 because it's not just their media obligations where they have to speak well and be articulate and all those kinds of things because that's, you know, ambassadorship of the program. They've got to sell the program not just as like a, you know, thing to recruits but also to the fan base, um, especially when they're not maybe doing as well. It, you know, I mean, Mac Brown bought a ton of goodwill at Texas because he was just a great gladhander. Um, and also, you know, won a national championship, but he bought a lot of years at the beginning and a lot of, a lot of years at the end, um, just by being kind of a personable dude. And I think it helps you a lot when maybe things aren't going particularly well. Um, so it, it always kind of shocks me when these guys aren't particularly good at that. Um, especially if they're not like super elite, you know, uh, Nick Saban can get away with being occasionally taciturn and those sorts of things. But, um, 
it's always a little weird to me when, you know, middling, uh, or at least by results, coaches, you know, kind of behave a certain way publicly. Um, but yeah, I thought they were all, they all sounded kind of on and, you know, and, and so many of these guys, I mean, they've got to be doing recruiting all the time. You've got to be on a hundred percent of the time. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't give them a whole bunch of credit for, you know, not biting the heads <laughs> off of media, but, um, yeah, I, I thought they were all on their, uh, on their more or less best behavior. Now, there were a few, you know, like, you know, Mike Leach is great always. Like, he's just so fun. Um, I think someone asked him if a hot dog's a sandwich because that's like a big internet thing right now. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He said no. But for him to like not false. bring false, right? Or you say it is or not? It is a sandwich. Oh, okay. I really don't have a strong opinion, but I'll, I'll, I'll just go with you, Dave, on this. I um, appreciate it. Yeah. Otherwise, this might devolve quickly. <laughs> but like him not bringing um, Luke Falk, you know, uh, or like, you know, it, it's, you know, that's kind of like them just showing some defiance and being like, ah, F, you know, I'm not going to bring the guys that you want to talk to. Um, which, you know, it kind of baffles me, but he's so entertaining. Like no one's really going to say anything, uh, bad about him. Uh, but there, you know, there, there's little kind of things like that out there, but for the most part, I thought everything was good. Was there any parts that you wanted to to discuss before we kind of move on or other aspects of media um, day i i thought some of the thoughts um and this is just kind of general stuff from media day i thought some of the thoughts about um the early signing period were interesting it seemed like mostly the coaches were against it which i guess isn't you know that much of a surprise because it makes their job a little bit i mean it depends at the at the like power five level i think it makes their job perhaps a little bit more difficult um, and, you know, a lot of them spun it as, you know, it's bad for the kids because, you know, they might, you know, decide later that they want to go somewhere else. But that seems like a bunch of hooey to me at the power five level. I think it's it's great for the kids because they can secure their spot a little bit earlier because I've seen all too often, you know, programs drop a guy that maybe they had committed since the previous summer. Um, and they drop them pretty late because, you know, they've they've had a good season and they're getting better recruits now. Um, you know, you see that a lot, like at a lot of different uh, schools. So this, I think, will help to solve some of that. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting. That the coaches seemed, I don't know if it was universal. There might have been a couple of opinions the other way, but it seemed mostly they were opposed to the early signing period, which I, I just found that interesting. Yeah. Um, who was it? I forget. I think it was, I think Kyle Whittingham was a fan of the early signing day period, if I remember correctly, from talking to him from Utah. Uh, being able to kind of lock guys up. Um, Rich Rod doesn't like signing day at all. He doesn't think anyone needs a signing day. Just if you guys come to an agreement, you can sign whenever you want. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't even ask about that. He just kind of went off. So it, it, even in that, I think a lot of them were kind of, you know, uh, had their strong opinions on it, but just there was still again, like it's all over the map. Uh, of what they wanted, you know, what they thought was best. And obviously it's for, you know, your program. If you feel like early signing day helps you, then you're going to say it's good. If you feel it doesn't, then you'll probably say it's not good. Yeah, no, it's true. And, I, I, you know, I kind of like, Le- I mean, I like the idea that, you know, the whole thing is kind of stupid and just let people go where they want to go and don't have these weird binding contracts, especially when you're not, you know, paying them any money. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that was, I mean, uh, there were like little bits of notes and stuff, but I'm sure we'll get to uh, some of that stuff in the midst of our questions. But no, I thought it was, um, you know, I, I thought it was about what we thought. I mean, honestly, I thought the media day poll was pretty much 100% what I would have predicted it would have been. It, might, it wasn't what I would have picked, but it was 100% what I would have predicted it would have been. Um, 
Washington picked to win the North, USC picked to win the South, USC picked to win the conference. I think, you know, that's all seemingly legitimate. I think we both agree that I, I think we would have picked Stanford. I think you did pick Stanford because I, I don't, um, I don't check my email with any regularity. I didn't pick anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny. If you didn't see Dave and I were kind of talking on Twitter and I, I, so they put out who picked, I mean, they didn't put out who your picks are. They put out how many first place votes each school would have. And Stanford, lo and behold, in the North only had one first place vote. And that was from me. Um, I believe that's, that's why, I, you know, unless it didn't go through, but that's who I was voting for. Yeah. So Dave was like, yeah, I would, I would have been with you. I would have voted there too, but I didn't get a ballot or something. And then like a few minutes later, he's like, oops, my bad. I had a ballot. I just didn't, I just didn't open it or something. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan can attest to my very solid, uh, responding to email skills. Yeah. I'll come up like, Hey, I got a great idea. Sometimes you're on, like, you're like, you get something and you, you want to talk about it and you'll email me or text me. Hey, let's do this on the show. That's blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, Oh, okay. We're, we're engaged on the show. And then I'll like respond later. And then I hear nothing for days. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Dave checked out of this one again. So. <laughs> my, my favorite move of mine is when you email or text and I'll respond on the other medium. <laughs> that's, I you think that's that. my favorite uh, choice that I make. And I'm not even sure which uh, email, like you have a couple of emails. You use yeah. That. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> I don't know. Just, but I'm not sure. Like sometimes you get a feel for. Oh, he responds to this one quicker than that one. Like, no. I don't know about that one. No, no, it's, it's up in the air for sure. <laughs> so I'm, um, as you might imagine, a, a very annoying person to deal with. <laughs> um, so a couple, some quarterback news. Um, Stanford football tweeted out earlier today. Uh, Keller Chris, who, if you remember, uh, towards ACL in the Sun Bowl, um, they tweeted out a video of him, uh, basically taking a snap, uh, from like a manager or something and then doing one of those long, kind of rollouts and throwing on the run just basically to show, Hey, he's fine. Um, so he, he looked pretty good. I don't know if you saw the clip, but it, that's good news for Stanford football. Yeah. I looked it up after you talked about it and yeah, I mean, you know, it's tough to tell from any one clip, but yeah, I mean, he looks at the very least, like he's very much on the mend and I wouldn't be stunned if he starts the first game now. And if you remember from our, you know, previews from, uh, earlier this year, um, that was probably, one of the few big question marks for Stanford this year is who's going to start the first game. Was it going to be Chris or was it going to be Ryan Burns again? And um, it looks like it's, you know, I mean, nothing certain at this point, but it looks like it's trending Chris's way. And that's a good sign because he ended the year on fire. So that's good for Stanford. Yeah. Our, uh, our, the Pac-12, the, the podcast of champions pick for the Pac-12 North. Yes, that's what we did. we did. We're the only ones, though. Um, so yeah. we're yeah. probably horribly, horribly wrong, but we'll see. But Stanford gets Washington at home. Uh, that's part of the reason why our, also our friend, uh, Angie Machado, um, tweeted out a, uh, uh, a video clip of Andrew, uh, coach Anderson talking after practice. Uh, Jake Luton, is it Luton or Luton? I don't, I don't know how to say it I right. I think, I think she said, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm remembering it as Luton, but I, Luton. I, I could be wildly wrong. Uh, but he's named the starter. So he, if you remember, he was, uh, out of Ventura College. Um, so he's going to get the, and Brandon Huffman, our, our buddy is a big fan, uh, being a Ventura guy himself. So, uh, so at least for the opener, um, Jake will be the starter. Yeah. And they, they have, a, I think Daryl Garrettson is back and I think he's, uh, you know, in position, I think if, if Luton, um, falls apart a little bit, but, um, sounds like they have some stability heading into the next month of practice, which I think is. You know, I, I always feel like if you can name a starter at quarterback, um, 
before you get into like the meat of practice, I think it helps. I, I don't, I don't really buy the whole like competition thingy. I think it's, you, you need to have like kind of that command of the team. Um, and I think that comes, you know, over time when you're like the sole voice and that sort of thing. And I, I think it helps to be that sole voice as early as possible. So getting a full month under your belt where you're, you know, you're the voice in the huddle is, you know, telling the offensive lineman what to do and all that kind of stuff. I think that, I think that's probably the biggest key here. And if you can do it early, like if you can do it after the spring and that person has the whole summer to run those player run yeah, practices and all that, I think it can be a big deal. But yeah, we've seen, you know, it can be a disaster. We saw USC not name a starter till the third week of the season. And that was just, you know, no, they, they, they named a starter, um, just the completely wrong guy. <laughs> oh no, I'm uh, talking a couple of years ago when it was, uh, Cody Kessler. Oh, no, no, no. And Max I was Whitt- talking about yes. last year when Clay Helton um, yes. purposely torpedoed uh, USC's chances <laughs> to make the playoffs. But there, but he did name starting, a starter, so he picked one by, by starting a guy who was significantly worse <laughs> than his starter, right? For possibly you know reasons having to do with the death chart. Yeah. Anyway, but they picked one, and then so yeah, then it was the horrible wrong decision. But um, you know, a few years ago with Lane Kiffin, where he wouldn't name Max Whitick or Cody Kessler the starter. Until like the third week of the season, like he basically had them the first two games, one play, one half, one play, the other, and that was just a disaster. It's like pick some, you got to make a decision. So yeah, uh, don't I, do anything in life the way Lane Kiffin does it. <laughs> like anything you at do all. Twitter. If you can think about something he's done in coaching, just do the opposite. Yeah. Whatever it is, you can do Twitter like Lane Kiffin. He's his Twitter game's pretty, he's pretty strong. good. Yeah, no, yeah. he would make a great, I think, like uh, a Twitter troll. Like he would be a great Twitter <laughs> troll. Um, I think that's his calling. I think he missed it. Yeah. Um, we also had a tweet from at Sean Gannon to uh, Salt Lamp. He said Colorado actually received a media vote to win the Pac-12 South. Had to be a Buffs homer. And they tweeted at, at you, David David Woods. Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying I wouldn't have. I'm just saying I didn't because I, again, don't check my email. But, you know, I always I, I like to display some intellectual integrity at times, and I don't think I could have stooped that far, but I would have had him like second or third, probably. Uh, probably yeah. true. Yeah, that's not bad. I I think I had him like fourth, but other people definitely had him. I mean, someone had him first. Um, but before I forget, did you what? Did you have any thoughts on? I was pretty. I I hope you were proud of my snark at media day when uh, Larry Scott like two minutes into. Uh, you know, brings up the, the, the rowing coach, which is crew and rowing different. I'm not sure, but the, the rowing coach for the University of Washington, because congratulations to them. They won the, uh, the national championship. It was the 500th for the Pac 12. And, you know, Larry Scott likes to talk about anything but football on football media day, but literally for five minutes, this woman is up there talking about her season, about one of her rowers hit her head and had a concussion. Like it was all this stuff that, you know, first thing in the morning, this is not what you want to hear. And it was baffling. Like, I could get mentioning her. I could get her being in the room and getting a nod and, like, people can clap or something. But to let her speak for five minutes, like, I was just like, there's no way the SEC would do anything like this. Well, it's just complete ignorance of your audience, complete ignorance of their interests, complete ignorance of everything. And you're operating under a misguided assumption that this is going to matter to anyone um (laughs) like it's just it's so weird that they're still 
like operating there's it's like they're doubling down on all of the like bets they've made with the pac-12 network and it just seems like a weird time to be doing that um you know that they can show all these like minor sports and have the network be a, a huge success it's just I don't know. I think it reflects some of the insular attitudes of a lot of these schools. Um, cause everything I've read is that the schools are kind of happy with the programming on the Pac-12 network and like all the minor sports and all the attention the Olympic sports get and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's just embracing the leadership of the schools and not really caring about what actual viewers and fans care about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't get too excited about stuff like that because I just assume you know, going back to the Tom Hansen days, I just assume the Pac-10, Pac-12 is being run poorly, and it's a great way to operate. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it sounds like Media Day maybe wasn't... Uh, there were, like, signs missing, right? Like, you couldn't even find your way to the, like, hall really easily. Is that correct? No, like, if you've ever been to Hollywood and Highland, yeah, um, it's a, so you park, like, butt. three or four levels below ground. And then you come up like a bunch of escalators and then you get to like the ground floor and there's no like sign. Now, if I would have read the email closely, I didn't like completely ignore it like Dave, but I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't read it as close to where there's like, it's on the fifth floor. Like, oh, so you have to go up like five floors once you get, so basically like nine floors from your car, but there's no signage anywhere saying, Hey, Pac-12 media, go upstairs or anything until you get to the floor where it is. Like there's nothing. There was no signage pointing up or here's where you go or anything like that. And uh, I, I went with our buddy, Bruce Feldman. We drove in and, you know, he reads all that stuff too. And we were both like, where the heck is this thing? And uh, yeah. just to get there is such a pain in the butt. Like trying to drive to Hollywood and Highland, like, you know, on a Wednesday morning, you figure there's no traffic. Like once you get to <laughs> Try Hollywood. Try to drive there anytime. Yeah. Anytime. It's, it's horrible. No, Hollywood and Highland is hell on earth. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was not, not that good. It really um, is. The other thing I forgot to mention that we, um, we talked about pre, pre-show was the announcement. Look, there, there was no direct TV talk. So I think we're just past that. Like people just assume this is the first year I remember them never, no one asking about, Hey, what's the latest with direct TV? I think people will just know like, yeah, it's not happening, but they are going to try to, uh, cut down halftime to 20 minutes and reduce the number of commercials for select non-conference games that are shown on the Pac-12 network. Any thoughts on that, Dave? Uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's... So they're 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 cutting down halftime. I think it's from 20 to 15, right? Yes. I think that's what it was. Yes. Um, so games should be, what, 5 to... You know, and with some of the commercial cuts, 5 to 10 minutes shorter? I don't know. I don't get too excited about the length of the games. I mean... Uh, I'm I'm generally fine with how long football games are, but maybe that's just me being, you know, kind of an obsessive football person. I, I just don't care. I, it's not like I'm, like, rushing to do anything else on a Saturday. I'm going to sit my butt down and watch, like, 12 hours of football. And that's yeah. what I do. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Like, the people complaining about the length of games, it's like, I, I don't think that's your dedicated fan base anyway. I don't think they, I mean, I just don't think people care. It's one thing for like baseball because I think even baseball fans like watching every second of like a, you know, pitcher scratching his butt right before he pitches. Yeah, that's, that can drag. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Football, it's, you're kind of digesting the previous play. You're thinking about, okay, what are they going to do next? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. I guess cutting down the commercials will be a, 
uh, a benefit a little bit just because there's less break in the action but the actual length of the games i don't uh, that's why the, the halftime part doesn't really I, I don't know and 15 minutes of rest in the middle of the game doesn't that seem like a, a slightly too short amount i don't know i would be fine with halftime being 20 minutes college football is great you don't have to fix yeah. it. Like, it's already really, really, really freaking good. Like, why do we all talk about it? Why do we love it so much? That's, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think some of the coaches, it gets pretty fast in there when you're, you have your media obligations when you're coming off the field and all that stuff. I don't know going to 15 minutes is that going to, to help, uh, you know, a, a commercial or two less. I mean, that's fine, but I think that's probably more out of, we're not trying to make the game faster. The Pac-12 Network has a hard time selling their inventory, you know, <laughs> selling the commercials. So you don't have to see another, like, uh, oh, my Utah. Like, if you watch, you watch Pac-12 Network for a while, yeah. and, man, I've seen so many, like, Utah swimmers or Arizona gymnasts, like, talking about their, their, their plight and their story and stuff. And you're like, don't they have commercials? Like, don't you have, like, ads to sell? And I don't think they do. So that I might have a be theory weird. that that's what makes it seem even more regional of a network than it is, is the fact that they spend so much time advertising the schools in the, you know, commercial breaks. It makes it seem like this is like local public access television, <laughs> even though it isn't. Um, like, I think if you have, you know, if you have a Cialis commercial, I feel like it's a national broadcast, <laughs> all right? Um, but when it's... uh when it's just, you know, this Utah Ute volleyball player is going on to be a doctor. I mean, it's just, okay, cool. But, I, you yeah. know, I think there's some really good programming. I mean, you know, we can knock about it and stuff. And, uh, you know, we love the Pac-12, but that's why we're doing this. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's some, some really good programming there. You know, we know all the problems with distribution and all that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, that's one of those things where, you know, if they sold more commercials, I don't know if they would be reducing the amount of commercials during their football games. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Um, I got, Can we dive into some questions? Yeah, yeah. Do you, you want to go? I have an email, or you want to do some emails first? Whatever. Um, yeah, let me let me dive into an email. Okay. Um, do you, should we lead off with our buddy Nick? Why not? Yeah, let's go, Nick. All right. This is from Nick. Questions for the Pac-12. He says, Hi, Ran and the Ruin guy. I think he means Ryan. Um, and of course he probably means Bruin, uh, not Ruin. <laughs> weird typo there, Nick. Um, all right. He wants to know kind of like our, our preseason predictions. And I love that Nick asked this before we've even really gleaned anything from fall camp. Um, putting us on the spot here. Um, who are our award winners and our predictions going into the season of the Pac 12? So coach of the year. Who do we think is going to earn Coach of the Year? Now, this doesn't necessarily mean – I'm just going to lay out the groundwork here. This doesn't necessarily mean the, the, the team that's the best. It could be the team that rises the, the, the farthest from expectations. Um, it could be um, could, could be a lot of different things. So, so where, do you, where, do you, where do you stand on this one? Who's your Coach of the Year? Yeah, it's always like um, – it's, it's usually the riser. It's not usually like who does the best. Now – USC is like the, the odds on favorite to win and Clay Helton's new. So I think he's got a shot to win it because it's not like if it was Pete Carroll and it was like their fourth year, like trying to win the, the conference, like you're never going to win it. Like I don't know what you could do to win it, but I think Clay Helton could. Um, I think Chris Peter could, Chris Peterson could. Um, 
certainly if like David Shaw with everyone picks Washington and they they go out and, and win like David and I thought they would, I think he's got a good shot at it. Um, if McIntyre, like Mike McIntyre, like if he, if Colorado is able to win 10 games again, um, especially losing all that they lost on defense, there's a shot there. I mean, I think there's a lot of coaches that have uh, a chance, uh, but I'm going to, I think the easy pick would be just Clay Helton because they're the favorite and he's new. So he hasn't won it before. So he's eligible to win. Like if you've won it a couple of times, like you're almost ineligible to win unless you do something absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, the problem for me with uh, picking Clay Helton is um, I think he's got like a razor thin margin of error because expectations are so high for USC this year um, that like if they lose a game in conference, are they like they're suddenly at expectations? And That's if they manage point. to lose two games in conference, then suddenly it's like, oh, this this guy's a piece of crap and that team sucks. Yeah, like they um, could win the conference, but if they lose a couple games, then maybe he wouldn't. Win. Yeah, that's a good point. You know. Yeah, and I think I, I think Stanford's going to surprise. I think my pick would be Shaw, because um, I, I think if Peters, uh, Peterson for the same reason as as Helton, I think there's a because expectations are pretty high for Washington. I think there's kind of a, a thin margin of error, but because we think Stanford's going to be better than seemingly other people think, um, I think he's got maybe more room to work with. Um, if they do have a special year, like if, if Stanford goes 10 and 2 this year, I think he's got a pretty good chance, pretty good chance. If, if Washington or USC go 10 and 2 this year, I think it'll be maybe not a disappointment, but it's maybe more like a, you know, par for the course. What if like a Cal wins like eight or nine games? Is it Justin Wilcox? Yeah, yeah, like- yeah. I, I think there's a chance. I think there's like a hard limit to like how low you can go with, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think like a, like a, it's hard to see like an eight and four team getting coach of the year. I mean, I'm saying that, and of course somebody's going to go in and like point out all the different coaches who've gone eight and four and won coach of the year. But I think, in, you know, it's a little bit easier when you're, you know, getting double digit wins. But I think if Cal went nine and three, I think they'd have a damn good chance. And, you know, I wouldn't rule out, um, you know, Arizona went, you know, I don't think either Arizona school is going to be good. We're on record saying that. But if either of them goes, you know, a little bit better than eight and four, eight four nine and three. I think they've got a chance too. Um, it's I think it's a matter of expectations and how you perform above them. Yeah, like Willie Taggart, like they, you know, what if Oregon for sure? Wins oh, the North? you know that's a great that's a great point because Oregon could massively rebound this year and then suddenly Willie Taggart's in that conversation. Uh, or Mike Leach, if they win the North, like pretty much if you win the North, I think you got a shot. You know, out, maybe not Chris Peterson because of like what you said, but um, not a guarantee. But if you you know if you're Stanford and you win the North. Uh, you're probably giving David Shaw the, the edge there, you know, or if it's over Oregon, you know, if Oregon or Washington State or somebody like that wins, then I think they're definitely going to win it. Can I just skip past offensive player of the year? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be Sam Darnold. Um, assuming he's healthy. Uh, defensive player of the year. Whew. Um, Solomon Thomas. Oh, wait, no, crap. We can't. No, no, no. You know, I, I could, you could talk me into Harrison Phillips. Okay. Um, this is this one's always so tough because it's not necessarily who the best defensive player is, but who puts up the most stats. So it could be some random Washington secondary guy who's replacing like Buda Baker or one of their corners. Um, like yeah, it could be whatever. like a Keisha Vieira from fine. Washington. I don't. I mean, you know, who knows? Like, it's it's hard. They, we were like a couple of days in the fall camp, so I just don't know yet. Yeah, uh, special teams player of the year. So who's who's, who's uh, USC's new kick returner, punt returner? Oh, um, is it gonna be Jack Jones? Probably be Jack Jones. Yeah, 
I would. You know, I don't. I don't think he's quite as electric with the ball in his hands as like an Adoree no, or some I, yeah. of the guys they've had in the past. Yeah, I wouldn't think there. I mean, like, um, like whoever's like kicking or punting for Utah, they're always up there, right? Like they'll be something. Yeah, there. yeah. So okay, so we'll just we'll just say Utah's punter. Um, I don't know who it is, but okay, Utah's punter for special team player of the year. Uh, defense and offense, freshman player of the year. Defense, I'm going to go Jalen Phillips from UCLA. Yeah, I would go there. Um, offense, who? Any true freshman starting at quarterback this year? No, I don't think so. Um, hmm. Any true freshmen who are going to make a huge impact this year? We're bad at this. Yeah, we're we're just you know, this. no preparation. I don't. I mean, this is this is real early, Nick. I'm sorry, but like, we'll, we'll figure. Okay, this now, out. now here's the one that's really absurd. Most improved player of the year. So not only do we have to find a player who was bad last year, <laughs> but we also have to write. We have we also have to predict that he's going to be a lot better this year. So obviously, Josh Rosen. Yeah, I would. That's pro, you know, I think Rosen's going to. Like I've said it before, I think Rosen's going to have a big year. Um, I, I just, I mean, he's going to be better than he was in six games last year so yeah. and he'll have hype so okay thanks nick for your question all right ryan do you have one uh yeah so this was this is kind of like a three-parter i got um from bob uh crockett uh he said i enjoy the latest podcast of champions with david woods as well as the parasol podcast couple comments so i don't know when this this came in like a maybe a couple shows ago but he said my cable bill for local sports uh, increased by $3 this month over last month. This is now $12 monthly hit over regular cable fees. My guess is the cost of the Pac-12 network, regional network coverage. Comcast is the cable provider. Uh, Pac-12 really stinks when compared to the SEC network, which I get on my cable system. I watch it a lot. The Pac-12 hosts are fine, and some of the content is good, but some not so much. Uh, but I think the viewers are different from the SEC. I would like more football coverage, and they really screwed up last year on the Pac-12 basketball tournament coverage. Um, I guess that wasn't a question. It was more of a statement. But any thought? Well, I think we were talking about like how much yeah. it costs, right? That's why. Yeah, and um, I, I think more football-related content would certainly uh, certainly be nice. Yeah, and there's but having yeah. like – and the big things like the basketball tournament, don't have some of them on regional – like you just have that on the main thing, you know? Um, you can't like split it up and like, oh, I don't get – Pac-12 Arizona, so I can't get, you know, it's like, come on, it's the basketball tournament. Like, that's what people I mean, it feels like what it is, which is a network run by people who aren't actually fans of the sports that are the primary, (laughs) you know, things that they're covering. I'm not not even joking. Like, it's, it's run by, like, if you're sitting down to watch the Pac-12 tournament, you you want to just, like, sit and watch the whole damn thing. It's not like you want to, like, constantly change channels (laughs) to find whatever game it is. Just have it on the main thing and have it run the entire day. It's not, I don't know. You can see a meeting, they're like, well, okay, so there's this basketball thing, but now we have uh, women's lacrosse is going on. Well, let's put that on the main one, and we'll put, the, you know, like you can tell yeah. like someone's doing that somewhere. We, like, we've what? got water polo on tape delay. <laughs> Why don't we put that on? Um, it's just I don't know. Uh, it just seems like they've got like really mixed and weird priorities, and they're not necessarily considering ROI when they're doing any of this stuff. And then this one, when we were talking about. Um, some of the sitcoms from the eighties. He said, I may be wrong about this, but Mackenzie Phillips, uh, is the daughter of John Phillips and his first wife, not Michelle Phillips of the mamas and the papas, uh, was in the TV sitcom one day at a time with Bonnie Franklin and Valerie Bertinelli. One of the early spinoffs of that, jo- that genre of TV shows in the eighties. I did not All think right. Justine Bateman was 
from the Family Ties show was correct. I don't even remember what we were talking about for that. Do you? No, but I appreciate, <laughs> I actually appreciate the fact checking. Even if it's not correct, I appreciate it. Yeah. I can't even remember exactly why we were going over that stuff. Was that with, uh, were we with Ted no. Miller on that? We were talking about. No, with... that was, that was the one where we went for about two hours and by the end of it, we were, um, not even speaking English. We were garbage. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we talked for like two weeks after that. We just talked too no, much. No, no, certainly day. not. Um, and then he said, by the way, Stanford built their stadium in one year. Uh, now they did not have an NFL team to deal with uh, and a historical designation, but they did cut uh, 90,000 uh, 90, uh, stadium bowl down to 50 or 60K. They also had local budgeting. Uh, I'm sorry, had a local building give them money and ag- agreed to construct it in the football offseason. It was done in less than 12 months, and it's really nice. I think uh, the luxury boxes that are the sky deck and above, there are on the sky deck above the roof of the press box. Um, so this was about the uh, this. I guess this was more for a USC thing, but that was more about like what the Coliseum uh, redesign is doing. But I don't remember Stanford Stadium being ninety thousand people though. Was it? It was a big. It was a big bowl. Yeah. Um, if you remember, it used to feel. Uh, it used to feel just kind of dead in there um, because they had the track around the football field and then you had the big bowl of seats but it made it so that you were so distanced from the action that it just felt like you were not even watching a football game it's yeah. really weird i wonder how that much inf- how much of that like influenced like stanford fans just not being like super passionate um, it's just the fact that like going to the games you're not like on top of the action or you weren't up until the the stadium redesign in any real way the, the redesign's odd. I do love the new stadium. I but... love Stanford Stadium. I think it's, I think it's kind of forward thinking too, cause, I mean, I think if, you know, like a lot of schools, I think, you know, USC, when they're good, they're gonna fill a, you know, an 80 or 90,000 seat stadium. And I think the same is true for UCLA when they're really good. They'll fill a, you know, an 80 or 90,000 seat stadium. But, you know, that's the LA area, which is the most populous part of this, you know, footprint but i think like stanford you know have a fifty thousand seat stadium i think cal could have a fifty thousand seat stadium i think you know i think a lot of these schools could have you know significantly smaller stadiums and the problem too and i'm sure dave like if if like say you know when usc or ucla would go up to stanford if like if the, one of the la schools was really good and stanford was bad i mean half the stadium would be usc or ucla fans you know so it would be like you know that's not encouraging so i think the way it is now is way better and you know it's it's just, you know, Stanford, there's got some passionate fans, but it's not a big, you know, huge fan base, I guess, that, that follows the football team. They weren't really filling up that stadium. So it made, I think it made a lot of sense. I, I mean, I think it would even make sense for like USC and UCLA for sure to go down to like 70 ish because, you know, you're not counting on everything always being boom times. And when it's not boom times at USC, it drops down to, I mean, what was it in like the, you know, late nineties? You know, people showing up. Yeah, like, 50,000 people, yeah. 55,000 people at a yeah, game. Exactly. And UCLA experienced that for most of the Durrell years. I mean, it's just, you know, you cover those times with, when it's only a 70,000 seat stadium, you're still pretty much filling it. And when it's, you know, boom times, you can charge a hundred bucks a ticket and people will still pay it. So I think it's, uh, it'd probably make more economic sense. I don't know how much that goes into the thinking when you're doing the renovations though. Yeah. But anyway, thanks for, for those questions there. And, uh, Steve, I think we've had that in the inbox for a while, so sorry about that. All right, we've got a question from Justin from the OC. Um, QB question, he says. This came 49 minutes ago. Wow. Um, so Justin got it in right under the wire. 
Um, my Bruin friend, and uh, he also has a typo here. He, he's got the R capitalized. Um, so I think he, you know, might have a keyboard issue. Oh. But uh, my Bruin friend thinks Rosen is a better QB than Darnold, and that is virtually universally agreed upon by experts. Wait. Well, I don't. So first off, I don't think it's universally agreed upon by experts. But you might be saying your Bruin friend thinks it's universally agreed upon by experts. I'm not sure. Uh, mobile QBs don't do well at the next level. That is true. But Darnold seems like a better QB on every level. One of which happens to be mobility. Curious to hear your thoughts and to settle this once and for all. Um, well, I would. Uh, so, look, there's the obvious answer. Darnold's uh, certainly a better quarterback. Um, now. Mobile QBs don't do well at the next level. I would kind of push back on Darnold being like classified as a mobile QB. I mean, he's certainly a mobile quarterback, but um, his mobility is more about you know using his feet and his feel to to you know buy some time against the pass rush, and he's keeping his eyes downfield the whole time. I mean, it's not like he's taking off and running. So you know, mobile QBs when people are saying that, they more mean like. You know, like a Robert Griffin III doesn't end up doing well at the next level, or like a Johnny Manziel doesn't end up doing well at the next level. Um, but I don't think Darnold's of that ilk at all. I mean, he's got a strong, strong arm. Um, he makes some pinpoint throws, but I think his mobility is more about setting himself up for the throwing game, not, you know, deciding to run. And, you know, I, I, I'm not saying Rosen's like significantly worse than him. I think if Rosen has a good year, it's going to be a close thing again. But I think Darnold... You know, what impressed me about him last year was just the feel. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think Rosen has a lot of great attributes. And I think he's got a very good feel, too. But he doesn't have those those feet. You know, the ability to just just make pass rushers look kind of stupid um, where they're running past you all the time just because you're doing little things with your feet to make them, to make them miss. Um, I don't think Rosen quite has that. Um, I think he maybe sees the pass rush a little bit more than Darnold. I think Darnold keeps his eyes up, stares downfield a little bit more. I think Rosen keeps it, you know, it, it's marginal, uh, a marginal difference, but I think it's significant enough with how you play quarterback at this level that it makes Darnold look a lot better. Um, but, you know, you go back to the true freshman season and Rosen looked great out there. Um, how much of this is clouded by how Rosen played in the six games last year before he got hurt and then being out for six games last year? Um, probably some. And if he goes out and, you know, is tearing things up to start the year, I'm going to look very stupid, but that wouldn't be anything new. Um, but right now, I'd, I'd, I'd take Darnold. You know, it's like, I mean, Justin, I don't think this is, uh, we're settling anything once and for all. I think you're talking about, if you want to say what's universally accepted is both of these guys are probably going to be top 10 or top five picks in the NFL draft. So. Yeah. You're, you're splitting hairs. It's, you know, like Dave said, you know, Darnold, his mobility is more about getting away from, uh, the rush. And I think what he does extremely well that you don't see a lot is it's not just like, yeah, it's, you can get away, but you run out of bounds for a two yard gain. He gets away and then somehow, like Dave said, he's keeping his eyes downfield. He finds someone down there and makes a big play. Now he's got some turnovers too. He's thrown some picks and, and, you know, he'll, he'll force some balls in there. He'll do things like that, but that's, just the kind of the way he is. I I really want to see, I think Rosen's going to have a bounce back year. I think he's an uber confident player. I think having all these other quarterbacks in town now, um, it's a, it's going to be a driving and a motivating factor for him. Now there's some offensive line questions. Who's going to be like the, does he have a superstar wide receiver out there? 
Uh, it's another offensive coordinator. How long is he going to stay engaged? I mean, yeah, there's some questions there, but I just feel like Rosen's going to have a big year. But that's very different. Um, Sam Darnold's going to have probably more success in college, but who's going to be the better NFL quarterback? I don't know. I mean, I think if you were a, a franchise, you know, a team looking for a franchise quarterback, you'd probably do well with either one of these guys. So I don't think we're selling anything once and for all, Justin. Um, and I, I do want to give a shout out to my former uh, UCLA beatmate, uh, Zach Helfand, who did a great feature on uh, Sam Darnold for the LA Times. I think that was, what was that, Saturday that he did that? Uh, did you read it? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. He did a, he did a great job. He was down there in, in Orange County and uh, super quiet. Yeah. They, these guys couldn't be diff- more different personality-wise. Yeah, and um, what I thought was interesting was because I think everyone is kind of wondering. So Darnold was a four-star on Scout.com. I think we probably did a better job evaluating him than most other networks. Um, but uh, that's still probably a little under where he should have been based off what we saw just his redshirt freshman year. And what I thought was an interesting note was um, him talking about how he kind of eschewed the uh, the seven-on-seven circuit. Didn't really participate much at all until you know, kind of doing stuff with his team basically i think the summer of before his senior year um he started to do stuff with san clemente um but he, he really wasn't a seven on seven guy and you know so much of the evaluation process is watching just game after game after game after game after game of seven on seven for especially us like you know scouting type people because you only get you know so many opportunities during the fall when you're watching the actual games to see any one guy because we have to cover a bunch of different people so we really, I mean, and it's, it's a flawed process because seven on seven isn't real football, but it's the closest you can get in the off season. And so we're watching a ton of seven on seven. And so that's where we evaluate a lot of these quarterbacks and Darnold really didn't do a whole ton of it. Um, and I thought, I just thought that was interesting because I'd never really thought about it, but you know, my, my theory on him is it's hard to tell mobility in those settings. So even though he was participating a little, you can't really get a feel for how a guy deals with a pass rush in seven on seven settings. And then also he just wasn't doing it a whole ton. Um, so he kind of, I think it's fair to say he slipped under the radar a little bit because he's obviously, you know, he's obviously a special prospect, not just a, a good one. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to move on? I got a question here from Anthony that we got a few weeks ago. Do you want to, about the quarterback? I mean, uh, coaches rankings. Do you want me to read yeah, that? Let's one? do it. So this was from uh, Anthony. He said, Ryan and Dave, Athlon's rankings for the Pac-12 college football coaches for 2017. Um, he wants to know how our list would compare to Athlon's list. And I'll start, I'll start at the bottom. It's, uh, he has 12, or Athlon has 12, Justin Wilcox, 11, Jim Mora. Wow, that's tough. Uh, 10, Clay Helton, 9, Rich Rod, 8, Todd Graham, uh, 7, Willie Taggart, uh, six, Gary Anderson, five, Mac, Mike, Inti- Mac, I'm sorry, Mike, Mac, <laughs> Mac, Mike, entire Mac, Mike, Mike. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I like Mac. Uh, Mike McIntyre, like Mike Leach at number four, uh, Kyle Whittingham at number three, David Shaw at number two and Chris Peterson. Number one. What do you think? Well, my, so uh, the way I look at this stuff is who does the most with the least and who does the least with the most. Yeah. Um, so right off the bat, I would have Peterson and Shaw one and two. You could pick the order. I don't care. Um, but those guys are my one, two. Um, I like Whittingham third. Um, I'd probably put, uh, I'd probably put Mike McIntyre fourth. 
Um, then I would maybe go a Gary Anderson, then I would go Leach, but I'd have those three in some order right there. Um, I think Taggart, until he proves it at Oregon, I think he's fine at seven. Um, the back five, I would... I, I, I think, I mean... Helton, it's 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 a tough thing to judge because USC has a ton of talent. I think he did torpedo at least one. I think he shaved off at least one win from what USC could have done last year um, because he started the wrong guy. Um, I think they should have been a ten and two team last year. You know, if if Darnold starts the first three games of the year and then goes into that Utah game, do they win that one instead of lose it? I think there's a pretty good chance, or at least there's an argument in that in that way. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sold on him still as a coach. Um, but I, I don't know if 10 is too low. Um, especially with how Graham and Rodriguez have imploded, I might have him at eight. Um, but I think Mora and Wilcox closing it out. I mean, I think you can make an argument that Mora has done, um, considering the talent level has done, uh, uh, the least with the most or not the most, but you know, in that spectrum, he's not, he's not doing a lot with a, with a good deal of talent. Um, going four and eight last year, um, being a, a, a middling-ish eight and five team the previous year, um, I, I think, you know, you can make an argument that, uh, the, the Rose has kind of come off that one. And then Wilcox, he's just completely unproven, so I'm fine with him at number 12. But I would just have, I think I'd have Helton up to number eight. What about you? Yeah, you know, for, for me, I think Taggart, I wouldn't have, I'd probably have him at 11 just because he hasn't been in the conference. We don't really know. Sure. Um, I mean, that's just personally, but I, I do agree with what you're saying is like, usually you're ranking like who did more, you know, with less, less with more. Um, I think Clay Helton would need at like a seven or an eight is fine, but he would, you know, if, if he has a good year this year, then that's something you would, you know, give yeah, him credit for. He's up for. into the top five. If they're, if they're, if they play up to expectations this year, he's the top five guy for me. Yeah. I think. Uh, but I think, like you said, that's, you know, it was a weird situation to take it over and all that stuff, but yeah, they could have at least one more game, but you have to give them some credit for winning nine in a row and, you know, beating Washington on the road and, and winning the Rose Bowl against Penn State too. Um, yeah, for, I mean, Rich Rod and Todd Graham, I think they've done some great things, but they haven't done stuff lately. So it's like, well, you know, what have you done for me lately sort of thing? Um, and, uh, you know, Leach, I, I might drop him a little bit further from there just because of the, you know, losing games that you shouldn't lose early in the yeah. season sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's so subjective, but it, it's a pretty good list, but I think you could kind of shuffle the guys around a little bit more. Willie Taggart's seven, seven to me with the one glaring thing I would have changed. Yeah, this seems like a pretty thoughtful list. Usually you see things like this and it doesn't make it really any intuitive sense, but I think they kind of went with that philosophy, who's done kind of the least with the most and who's done the most with the least. So um, it makes sense to me. They're just a couple rearranging the chairs, but overall, I think it's a good list. We had a question from Lino about our Google Analytics. Okay, I think that's just a sp- <laughs> <laughs> spam. Spam. Um, all right. Uh, here, let me read Earl in West LA. You ready? Oh, yeah. On the eve. All right, so this is Earl in West LA. Guys, on the eve of the ever informative and exciting Pac-12 Media Days, I just can't overcome the need to be snarky about the hype the so-called quote-unquote Conference of Champions is making as the first conference with 500 championships. Never mind that Stanford, UCLA, and USC have 330 of those 500 championships. Throw in fourth place, California is 36, and the total is 366. Without the California schools, the rest of the conference has an unimpressive 134 championships, fourth best among the Power Five conferences. In fact, if Stanford, UCLA, and USC were a three-team conference, 
they would have 44 more championships than the Big Ten, 127 more than the SEC, 138 more than the Big 12, and 210 more than the ACC. The numbers are emphatic proof of the academic and athletic talent richness of California. Would you agree? Love it. Love it, Earl. Um, what I would say is uh, the California schools especially have um, fantastic weather for a lot of these outdoor sports that are these quote-unquote Olympic sports. Um, they play a lot of sports that um, some other leagues don't even play, um, like water polo, for example. I think it's since become a little bit bigger, but like 10 years ago, like it was – it was like California and then some Ivy League schools, and that was pretty much it. Um, so you have some like built-in advantages. It's really easy to recruit to California because the weather's really nice for all of these sports that require, you know, like that require the wind being favorable. Like just there's there's a lot of stuff that um, uh, puts a built-in advantage for California. But yeah, I think it's it's 100 percent true that those are the you know three most. Um, I, Success, successful seems like a bit like the most broadly successful um, athletic programs in the country, no doubt. I didn't realize the numbers were that like we're just I didn't yeah I just knew the conference had a lot of championships. I knew Stanford, USC, UCLA all had like a hundred or a little over a hundred, so they had a lot. But I guess doing the math in your head, you're like, oh, that's that's the majority of the whole conference is. Uh, so yeah, it, to me, it's just more about that's what the Pac-12 is is touting, but they don't they don't I don't think they promote those three schools, they promote the entire conference and yeah, it's fine, whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, the numbers are pretty crazy. I didn't realize it was that, uh, that bad, but that was a good one from Earl. Yeah, that was great. Uh, um, do you want me to do, uh, Scott's question? Uh, sure. Let's do that. Where, well, let's see that one. Yeah. It's uh Ted Miller comment, Pac-12 leadership okay, super gotcha. conference. Um, so, Hi guys, up in Washington State, go dogs, and enjoy the show. Ted Miller was a really good guest on the pod, and I hope you can bring him back during the season. We hope so too. Why the Big Ten, SEC, and soon-to-be ACC sign TV deals and bring in revenue that blow ours away, and they continue to expand their footprint in the United States? Oh, he's, he's saying while they continue to do that. Oh. Uh, Larry Scott holds to the plan of trying to grow the sport overseas in Australia and China. Wink, wink, nod, nod, and hold on to content, i.e. Olympic sports, that no one is interested in watching or paying for. And as the cord cutting in America goes on and gains more traction, all this will do is marginalize the network even more until they will ultimately have to go off the air as getting 25 to 50 cents per month per subscription will not make it worthwhile for any provider to even offer it. All you need to know about the leadership of the conference is the fact that the two best bowl games, which are terrible as your number two and number three bowl games, that is a different topic altogether, will be on at the same time competing against each other. Chances that happens in another Power 5 conference, slim and none. But that's not Larry Scott's biggest blunder by a mile, and this is my question for you two. When Oklahoma and Oklahoma State asked to come into the conference four to five years back, and by default, Texas would have followed, he simply said, thanks but no thanks. So instead of having first mover advantage of being the original super conference and all that would have bought, we are left with the scenario of eventually becoming uh, of eventually between the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12, two will survive with 16 teams in them, and the last one goes the way of the Mountain West. Because of the geography out here and based on the LA market, this actually puts UCLA and USC in the catbird seat as it simply comes down to do they go east with the prize being the Texas market and join the Big 12? Or do Texas, Oklahoma, Okie State, and one other, Kansas for basketball, look to the California market and come out west? Now that you have my opinion, what would you guys have done back then when those two blue bloods, 
Oklahoma and Texas came calling back then. Looking forward to your answers and the season coming up. Thanks, Scott. So a lot to digest there, but uh, Ryan, you can correct me. Um, okay. I don't remember it that way. I, I What I remember is there was a big courtship um, between Larry Scott and specifically Texas, um, and bring and Texas would have brought along Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but it was with Texas. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Texas said no, not Pac-12 said no. Um, I think that might have been Larry Scott's spin at the end of it, but I think ultimately it came down to them deciding not to do it. Am I wrong? That's my memory of this. Yeah, you know, we should we could get uh, Chip Brown, who's part of the Scout Network yeah. now, who was breaking a lot of that stuff. But my my understanding was that Texas wanted to have their own television network. And I think that's what it was. That was like the hang-up. And I'm going to give Larry Scott some credit. When he first came in, I think the way the Pac-12 was doing things was so poor. Um, he came in, shook things up, and 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 got things, you know, rattled the cages a little bit, got things going. They needed that. They needed some lifeblood into the conference. And I think it was good, but it could have been great. And yeah. they needed to take that one more step to make it great. And whatever you needed to do to make it that super conference – as opposed to bringing in Utah and Colorado, no offense to Utah and Colorado, but it's not Texas and Oklahoma. That's where the the conference needed to go. So they kind of fell short at that point, and it's sort of been downhill. I don't want to be too negative, but ever since, you know what I mean? It wasn't. There was a lot of good things early on that just need just needed some change. That would yeah. have been the big one, and uh, I think the, this all this Pac-12 network talk would be completely different if you had Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, and I, I think. Um... I don't think it's like dead, dead. Um, I don't think the Big 12, uh, I wouldn't put their long-term outlook as like great by any stretch of the imagination, um, especially with Texas still, you know, carving out so much of the pie for themselves. Um, you know, I, I think from a sustainability standpoint, I think the Pac-12 has probably the best chance of sticking around out of the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12 just because of geography, like literally because it's going to be hard for any of these schools to join another league um, aside from Utah and Colorado um, because it's just distance. Um, you know, obviously that was solved a little bit with West Virginia and the big 12, but that's just a marriage of necessity. I don't think that one's going to last that long either. Um, Cause I mean, just cost comes into it. If you're having to play, you know, a bunch of cross country road trips per year, it's just nuts. Um, so, I mean, I think PAC 12 is going to be fine um, in terms of, you know, whether or not it's going to die at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, if I was like betting on it, like, I mean, football is going to look a lot different maybe in 20 years. But if I was, you know, if we leave that out and say football's still around and is the same thing in 20 years and still a huge big media, um, big money sport, um, I would bet on there being some breakup of the Big 12 and Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and, you know, somebody else, you know, going to the Pac 12s. I mean, I think that's probably the long term future. I think they, I don't think Texas would be willing to go into the SEC. Um, I think they, they would see the Pac-12 as maybe a little bit softer and a little bit easier to still dominate to a certain extent. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that's the long, long-term future. I don't think it's out of the question, but maybe I'm just being optimistic there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been nice for them to get this done four to five years ago um, because it's obviously the way things are going. Um, but I think in the long term it will happen. Yeah, I think, I think eventually. And, uh, you know, when we talked to Ted Miller and, uh, thanks for Scott for, for being a Washington fan. That's cool. We, we want to get 
other fans obviously writing into the show. It's not just like USC and UCLA people. So it's good to get other perspectives. Um, yeah, I think when Ted, Ted wasn't, uh, super critical, I think of the Pac 12. And I think you could point out the, some of the, the positives of owning, you know, everything. And that's what Larry Scott does is that maybe when things do implode and it's all going to be a la carte that the Pac 12 is in a better position because they own that's, that's basically what he's betting things on. But the problem is, Every, you know, every year that goes by, the gap widens. And, you know, we talked to Larry Scott about this at Pac-12 Media Day. And he was basically saying, you know, it's not all about money. Um, the fact that, uh, Iowa State or a Rutgers is going to make $20 million more than every school in the, in the Pac-12. And you're like, that just doesn't seem right. That's not sustainable. You know, um, how can you have those kind of, that kind of gap between like, um, you know, a not so good athletic program and Stanford, USC and UCLA have won a hundred championships each, you know, but that's there and it's there and it's, it's the reality. And he was saying, you know, we, we won all these championships without having making the most money. And it was weird. It was a different story. I think when Larry Scott first rolled out that the, the TV deal where it was like a $2 billion deal and, uh, there's the biggest one at the time. Money seemed to be really important then, but now that it's gone the other way, and all these other conferences have renegotiated contracts multiple times and the Pac-12 is still stuck on the same one and it's just going to get worse and worse. Now he's saying money doesn't matter as much. So I, I don't know. It's just, it, I think it's going to be a real problem. You just can't have compete against other universities when everyone, you know, the, from top to bottom, those schools are making 20 or more million dollars a year more than each one of the schools in the Pac-12. Yeah. It's, uh, it's true. Hey, Dave, it looks like we have a radio request in here. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, they wanted us on the show yesterday. Oh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Alan. Alan from from LSU. From LSU. That's interesting. Yeah, they're just trying to fill airtime. Yeah. Something we're good at. Yeah. We have, uh, let's see, Ian. Um, I think he has a couple questions. I'll read one. Sure. Hey, Ryan, or hi, Ryan, and Baby Bear. So you're Baby Bear. God, what is with all these USC fans and, like, the weird fetish for calling Bruins something different every time? <laughs> Did you see Dave's glorious beard? He can't be a Baby Bear. Like, there's no way. <laughs> no. Uh, in a recent podcast, you mentioned a team that was, quote-unquote, better than their record reflected. I believe it was Oregon State, if memory serves. I hear this often about teams, but I'm wondering about the opposite. Which Pac-12 teams were worse than their record reflected in recent memory. Arizona State 2016 jumps to mind. Uh, thanks, bros. Curly uh, in the 415. All right, Curly. Um, uh, obvious one for me is 2005 UCLA. They went 10-2. and two. Um, Much more – they looked much more like a 6-6 six and six team, um, but they won a ton of comebacks. Um I'd say Arizona in 2015 probably fits the bill. They went 10 and 4. Um, that was probably punching a little bit above their weight. Um, nothing else is jumping out to me just off the top of my head. Do you have any that you can think of? Okay, so he so he wants you to be okay. This wasn't just last year, so he's talking about uh, just recent memory teams that are worse than their record. So so he's saying like Arizona State. 
but they were five and seven. So why would that be? They were they were a pretty bad five and seven though. If you remember, I think they didn't they win like the first five games of the year and then they lost seven in a row. Oh yeah, they were one, two, three, four. They were four and one. Yeah, right. And then uh, and fell off a cliff. You know the obvious one. I can't believe Dave didn't mention this. Um, Colorado from 2016. You know they shouldn't have won ten games. Are you kidding? Hey, me? you know what? You know what? <laughs> Buff stampede. All right. <laughs> that was a joke, people. I'm just kidding because Dave loves his buffs. Uh, oh, I can get Washington fans to hate me some more, and I can say them last year. Oh, they made the playoff, man. Come on. I know. I know. Um, wait, I, yeah, let's look at the teams last year. So that's easier. Um, so Washington State goes eight and five after losing to Eastern Washington. Like, would you say? That's about where they no, should No, it's not an obvious one because they're, I think they're even better than that record. It's just they had a stupid start to the season and a stupid finish. They should be better. Okay. Yeah. Um, Utah, kind of about where they should have been, right? Yeah. I, I, last year, I mean, there were a couple of teams that were probably better than their records indicated, but I didn't think there was anybody who was significantly worse. Yeah. I mean, Arizona State, I guess, is you can make an argument for that, but I don't think last year was a uh, year where it felt like that for yeah. too many teams. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with, I, I think Arizona, maybe it wasn't Arizona in 2015, 2014, wherever year they won the Pac-12, uh, won, when they won the Pac-12 South and they went 10 and 4, that felt like a... Yeah, that was you know. 2014 because they were seven and six in 2015. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going 2014 with Arizona. Um and then, yeah, the the one that will eternally jump out to me because I was a student at the time is the 2005 UCLA team, which was a lot of fun to watch. But they were like trailing by triple digit or <laughs> triple digits. That'd be funny. Uh, they were trailing by like 20 points or more in like three or four different games and won them just because you know, essentially they got lucky, but also they kind of threw their playbooks out and just played street ball at the end of games. Um, at USC in 2011, maybe with Lane Kiffin, where they went 10 and two. Um, and then followed up with a seven and six season the next year when Matt Barkley came back and all that stuff. Yeah, that's probably uh, a fair one. Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one, but. Yeah, but that was a good question. I liked it. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want me to do Ian's other question? Sure. All right. Hi, Ryan and Bruin. <laughs> In this offseason boredom, I'm wondering the power rankings of the Pac 12 schools who each was represented by their mascot in a cage match. So I've actually done this before, um, so let's get into it. Uh, here's my list. Okay, he's going one, Trojan, because they're equipped with a helmet and a shield. So first of all, nothing could be dumber than picking the man ahead of all of these like wild or potentially mythical animals. Yes. Okay, just I it's agree. dumb. Anyway, uh, Trojan equipped with helmet and shield. Uh, Sun Devil, assuming it has same stature as a normal devil and has pitchfork. It is a magical creature. You don't even know if you can kill it. The Sun Devil is very obviously going to be above the Trojan. Yes. Uh, three, a bear. Um, no, okay. Which, which bear? Four, a buffalo. Okay. Five, a cougar. Six, a wildcat. Where the justification goes in between a cougar versus a wildcat, I don't know, but he's got them both next to each other, so fine. Seven, a ute. Assuming it's your average Mormon. If it's actually the dumb swoop hop, then swap with Husky. So a Ute is actually a member of an Indian tribe in Utah, which is why our sound effect, which with probably a little arrow. problematic, is an arrow. Um, 
That's correct, right? Utah Utes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a member of an Indian tribe um, in the Utah area. So, um, again, a, a man. Um, but maybe not on the losing side of one of the most famous mythical wars. So maybe, you know, above the Trojan. Who knows? Um, ate a husky. Which, again, so the husky is below the cougar and the wildcat. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the dog. Okay? I'm going to take the dog over the cougar and the wildcat. Nine, a Bruin. If it's truly a baby bear, adolescent or older, it should move up in between buffalo and cougar. So Bruin, there's some, there's some general consternation about what a Bruin is, but it's actually a mythical bear. Um, so when we're talking about Bruins, I mean, I had this conversation on the broadcast at one point, but I mean, it, it's a myth. You know, it could be a, a bear with laser eyes. And are, is, a, is a bear with laser eyes going to win this competition? I think so. Okay. But even if we just take it as a mythical creature, um, I still think it's a bear. Um, what dog is going to win a fight with a bear? What uh, cat is going to win a fight with a bear? What buffalo is going to win a fight with a bear? Okay? So even the baby bear is probably going to be top four on this list. Um, then we've got a beaver and a duck. Obviously, they're going to be 10 and 11 or 12, whatever. And then cardinal, because the color isn't going to win very much, nor would a tree. Um, I think you're... Your, your bottom three, they work for me, but I think everything else was kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to be Cardinal. And I also want to know, are these like individual matchups? Are we, you know, because I, I think some guys could match up against others better, or is it a, a Royal Rumble? Oh, there's definitely a rock, paper, scissors element to this because, you know, the Trojan is probably going to just destroy and probably the dog and even the Ute. Um, but. Is it going to handle, like, a Bruin very well? Is it going to handle the very concept of the color cardinal? Like, we don't know. <laughs> That's tough to deal with. So I think... They couldn't even handle a group of Greeks coming in in a horse. I mean, how are they going to handle any of this? Yeah. I think the mythical aspect of the Sun Devil, I think you have to put that number one, like, by a long shot. I agree. 100%. And I, I would probably, you know... And I don't know the whole story behind the Bruin bear, but if it's a Bruin, like, like we're talking like Austin Powers with lasers coming out of his eyeballs, like you're saying. That's a number two. That's two. If it, so if it's got lasers, number two. Yeah. If it doesn't have lasers, I think no worse than fifth. Um, I think a wildcat, now, I could be wrong. Someone would yell at me. Like if you ever watched the movie, we do a lot of movie references here. Um, what's the one with uh, Will Ferrell? He's driving uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah. That cougar is, is bad. Like that is a big, ass cat like i think a, that cougar would beat up a husky like i think that that thing would yeah i don't know how big a wildcat is but i think a cougar is pretty high up there not as high as a bear the buffalo no way i mean i think the buffalo could just stampede over it um yeah, well and but here's the other thing about the buffalo i'm pretty sure the utes hunted buffaloes successfully i think if you were like fair you know handicapping that fight the utes probably winning so that's clearly above the buffalo too i think the buffalo can be no higher than seventh here the U, what about the, okay, the U Trojan? Now you're talking about, this is completely different type of combat. You're talking, you know, hand to hand with shield and sword versus the U could pick them off from far away, depending on how many arrows they have, you know? So I might take the ranged weapon over the, the well, melee. You're, so, so it depends on what we're talking here. Because if we're talking Tommy Trojan, yeah, he's only got the sword. But if we're talking about the classical Trojan, um, we've got to talk about, um, you know, taking out Achilles' heel with a uh, with a with an arrow, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they're equipped with a bow too. Now, were the you know ancient Greek bows because um, the Trojans were essentially another Greek tribe. 
were those bows as good as say the you you know tribesmen in you know the the late medieval period? I mean, that's really the question we've got to talk about. Yeah, that, I mean that that could be a whole podcast. And did the, in did the Utes even have bows at that point? Were they <laughs> using slings and um, other you know kind of rock throwing and you know those sorts of uh, those sorts of tools? You know what? I think I've, I've got to take the Trojan in the fight with the Ute uh, okay. simply because of the armor. I, I the Utes wouldn't have had any sort of armor. Um, you know, at, at most they would have been wearing some leather and maybe maybe some some you know cobbled together stuff. But the Trojan's going to have. You know, at, at worst, a helmet, a shield, yeah. You know, breastplate. I think I think you got to take the Trojan there. But I could mean, there be a scenario a then, like where the Ute beats the Buffalo, the Trojan beats the Ute, but the Buffalo beats the Trojan? Yeah, because I think the Trojan is just not going to be familiar with the Buffalo. Yeah, I think the Buffalo might look like some sort of, you know, might look like one of their gods, um, and then they're, you know, kind of flummoxed for a little while, and the Buffalo stampedes over them. Here's a, okay. Here's one with the the duck and the beaver. Is there like I'm trying to think of the beaver, the beaver has to wins be, this. Has the, to be yeah, superior beaver. in every way to the duck, right? Like because they're both in the water. Like what could the duck do? Could the duck do anything? Is, it, is there any kind of shot that duck would have against the beaver? Like a particularly big duck and a particularly small beaver, but no, I I really don't think so. I think the beaver wins that. Uh, Ninety nine times out of a the duck can fly. That's the the one advantage, I guess, but. Yeah, sort of. Um, but I, I feel like they're both water creatures. It's not like, it's not like the duck can take the beaver off of land and like really put it in its element because the beaver, I mean, they build dams. They can handle being in the water. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel like there's even like necessarily a huge environmental advantage. Now, maybe if the duck can take the beaver into deep water, um, but that's going to require a lot of, uh, clever thinking. And, you know, duck is a bird and, you know, birds are not <laughs> particularly smart. So, I think the beaver. I think the beaver takes that in a lot of different ways. It'd have to be a very dumb small beaver to lose to a very smart big duck. <laughs> like maybe the actual mascot duck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm putting so cougar. I'm putting Ian, cougar right? above the husky. <laughs> okay, I'm putting cougar above uh, of the husky. Would you put the husky above the wildcat, or would you still put the husky above the cougar? Just because cats and dogs. I'm taking, I'm taking any dog over a couple of cats. What? It's not a cat. A cougar's like a, okay. A cougar's a cat. It, it is a cat. It's like this huge beast. It's a, it's a cat. Uh, I'm, a, I'm wondering how big wildcats are too. I, I, I'm thinking wildcats are a little smaller than the cougar, but. Yeah. Watch Talladega I mean, Nights I, again. And would you be scared of driving, you know, if you're Will Ferrell, if you put a husky in the car, are you scared of driving it or you put a cougar in the car? So obviously, as a human, you're not as scared of the husky, because you know we're 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 bred to be friends, yeah. right? Domestication. Cats have yeah. cats have no loyalty whatsoever. I would rather be in a in a car with like a huge like mastiff than with a common house cat, right? Because even a common house cat isn't really domesticated, whereas you know a big dumb dog is a big dumb dog. <laughs> so I think the husky the husky driving around with the husky's fine. Driving around with like a, a wild like cat or even like a fairly trained cat, that's that's touch and go. Yeah. That thing might just jump onto your lap and start clawing you for no reason. Um, so for me, it's this is another one where I think it's that rock paper scissors thing. I think the Trojan might have more to fear from the cougar or the wild cat because cats are weird um, than the husky. But I think the husky versus the cats, I don't think it's even a question. 
I think the Husky takes those. All right. Well, this is the only kind of, you know, ear-splitting analysis you <laughs> the podcast of champions. I was like, what are we really doing this? Like, we're grown men. This is what we're talking about. Look, sometimes you need to hammer these things out. And I think I, I think he inspired us with how bad this list was. Yeah, that was pretty bad, Ian. Um, tweet us, though. Like, let us know where, where do we get the mascot wars wrong. Um, yep. The best tweet we get. As soon as we come out with our line of T-shirts, we'll send you one. Um, we're not; yeah. they're not in production. They're not in, even in the planning stages. But if we ever do, <laughs> they're not them, even in the ideation. No, uh, it just came into my head right now. But if we ever do them, and you have the best tweet about the Pac-12 mascots, we'll send you one. Yeah. Well, I guess we should wrap it up, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's about that time. Uh, it was good. Sorry to Alan at uh, Louisiana Radio that we did not answer your email. Uh, in a timely fashion. It's, uh, uh, because I'm, I'm bad at checking email and, and Ryan has a lot to do every yeah. day. Well, I mean, we don't check the Pac-12 podcast email all that often. We do it, you know, mostly we're doing, if he would have emailed yeah. one of us individually, that's fine, but to, it's weird. Like, I don't even read it. Well, like, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have responded if he'd emailed me to right. individually too. I so. try to respond. Yeah, that's nice of you. You know, I went on, okay, this is weird. I went on the, uh, did you know there's like a, a Catholic like Trinity radio network, like in Orange County. Wow. Uh, they talk no. about the Trinity League. So yeah, cause, uh, USC got a commitment from JT Daniels for modern day and they, uh, so it's like some, it's like a Catholic, uh, radio network or something. And they had me on talking about JT Daniels commitment. Wow. Very That's strange. Exciting. Huh? Yeah. I didn't even know that existed. So, Hey, but I try to respond. I try to go, like if people ask me to go on their podcast, I try to go on it, you know, even if I've never heard of it. Dave probably tells him to, to F off, right? You probably say, or no, you I still respond. Don't, I just don't respond. I do the rudest <laughs> possible thing, which is not even give them the dignity of a no. So um, you're, you're helping our industry. You know, you're like those young, <laughs> those young journalists that like look up to you, have read you on bro for years and they email, David, I just started a, a, a blog and I'd be great if I could get a few quotes from you about UCLA's class and, and you just don't respond. You crush their soul and then they go off and do something else. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I just don't, I, I think it's like, I, I don't want to respond to somebody on their terms. You've emailed me. No, I'm not responding to you in a timely fashion. I'll respond to this when I think about it many weeks from now. That's how I'll do this. Um, which is a great way to operate. I think it's, uh, it's not rude at all and it wins you lots of friends and influences people. Well, you, you got the kids excuse, right? So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's man, they you change keep, your life. You keep busy in, in all ways, right. all the myriad ways. Yeah. Well, hey, David, I thought it was fun. You know, we just kind of, I love the question. So thanks for sending those in. Keep sending them in. But, uh, I thought I had a good time. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Thanks for everybody's questions. Um, I think we got to pretty much everybody, but if we didn't, let us know, um, and ask it again and we will answer. And, uh, we are going to, well, I don't want to promise anything, but we're probably going to start doing these some quite frequently. The season is nearly upon us. So yeah. lots to come. Yeah, we'll try to get some updates from Paul Camp. Maybe we'll get some guests. I don't know. We're, we're, like we said, we don't promise anything, but uh, we'll try to do some more. So if you didn't listen to a couple of ones last week, at least you can hear from some of the coaches at Pac-12 Media Day. Then you can listen to us the rest of the way. Uh, that's David Woods from Bro. I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.